Okay, so we are continuing in our Shir on Yud Gimel Ikri Emunah, 13 Principles of Faith. We are on the last one of the Ikrim, principle number 13, and that is the Ikr of Tchias HaMesim, of the resurrection of the dead. Tchias HaMesim, which as Rambam tells us, is one of the Yisoides, one of the foundations of Yiddishkeit. And last week we discussed that. Why is it one of the foundations of Yiddishkeit? And we discussed some of the different opinions, some of the different shitois between the Rambam and the Ramban, um, and all that is behind us. And I said that this week we would continue the discussion about Tchias HaMesim. And the truth is, after looking more into the subject and finding so much fascinating material on it, um, I think we may not finish this week and we may continue on the subject next week. Um, but let's see. Let's see. So really what, I want to, what I'm going to be using for tonight is a very fascinating, lengthy letter that the Rebbe wrote before the Rebbe even became Rebbe. It was in 1943, right? Um, the, we know the last 10 years of the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Rebbe's life, was in America from 1940 to 1950. And the Rebbe joined the previous Rebbe, his father-in-law, in America in 1941 and was here the last nine years of his father-in-law's life before Yud Shvat, when the previous Rebbe passed away, and the Rebbe assumed um, that the mantle of leadership. But in those years, in the 1940s, the Rebbe served in many ways as a right hand to the Friedrich Rebbe. And one of the things that he did was he responded to many people's questions in learning, um, whether in halachic areas, Talmudic areas, Hasidus, Kabbalah. And it was at that time that people really started appreciating the, um, the magnitude of the Rebbe's knowledge in every area of Torah. And that was through these letters and responses that the Rebbe would issue then and were printed then in the 40s in various publications. So one of those lengthy letters and explanations the Rebbe wrote was expounding and explaining about Techias HaMesim, about the resurrection of the dead. And it became a very famous letter in, in which the Rebbe really tells us a number of foundational ideas about Techias HaMesim. And specifically where the Rebbe was writing to explain and to prove that every single Yid is going to have Tchiyas HaMesim in one form or another. And that was news to some. Um, it seems that there was some type of an event, there was a Siyum Hashas, and the Rebbe spoke there, and he said that based on the mission of Kol Yisrael Yesh Lahem Chelek Elam Haba, that all Yidin will have a portion in Elam Haba, so it means every single Yid, whether he's a Tzaddik or a Russia, or even an extreme Russia, that every Yid will ultimately come back in the time of Tchiyas HaMesim. So the Rebbe said that in a speech, and then that was challenged, and people wrote in and they said, why, you know, why is that, and how is that, um, and isn't it true that there are certain sources that seem to um, indicate that certain types of Rishayim, or wicked people, or people who are not worthy, will not be Zoychet to Tchiyas HaMesim. So how could it be that someone who's not worthy should be Zeche for Tchiyas HaMesim? That was the question that was posed and which caused the Rebbe to write this letter that later is printed in the first volume of the Rebbe's letters and it's a letter that's many pages long, um, 12 printed pages long, where he goes through numerous sources and explanations in this Indian and that's what I want to use as the foundation of tonight's shir. We're not going to make it through everything in the letter but a couple of important points that I wanted to share with you tonight. Okay. So, 
The first point the Rebbe makes is a very interesting one, and something that we touched upon in short last week as well. And that is that there is a basic difference between Gan Eden and Olam Habba. Now, these terms are many times interchangeable. When we hear Olam Habba, we think Gan Eden or vice versa. The truth, though, is that there is a basic difference between Gan Eden and Olam Habba. Um, Olam Habba is the world in the time of Tchiyas HaMesim. So it's after Mashiach comes and the Hashem will revive the dead. That is what we are referring to when we say Olam Habba. Now, what is the difference between Gan Eden versus Olam Habba? So the most stark difference is that Gan Eden is just for Neshamis, right? Gan Eden is the place where a person who passes away nowadays, after the person goes up to heaven, and after the person is um, cl- cleansed through various forms of punishment, ultimately a person is able to go to Gan Eden. Gan Eden is a spiritual place, but it's a place for Neshamis without bodies. Olam Habba, on the other hand, that's Neshamis Begufim. That's after Gan Eden, after Mashiach, the Neshamis come down and they get enclosed in bodies. So that's one stark difference. Gan Eden is Neshamis without bodies, and Olam Habba is Neshamis in bodies. Another difference is, not everyone makes it to Gan Eden. Gan Eden requires a certain level of worthiness, and a certain amount of Torah having been studied or mitzvahs having been performed, Gan Eden is a schar, is a reward, that not necessarily everyone's neshama makes it there. It is very dependent on the worthiness of a person. And even in Gan Eden, there's something called Gan Eden HaTachtoin versus Gan Eden HaElyon, lower levels versus higher levels. Some people will only make it to Gan Eden HaTachtoin. Some people will make it to Gan Eden HaElyon. The point of the matter is, Gan Eden is more exclusive. It's more exclusive. A, bodies never make it to Gan Eden, only Neshamais. And B, you have to have a certain level of worthiness in order to make it to Gan Eden. Olam Haba, or what might be called Olam HaTchia, the world of Tchia Samesim, that's totally not exclusive. It doesn't exclude bodies. And it doesn't exclude Rishaim, everyone will be there. And that's a that's a very, very stark difference. So whereas Ganeden is spiritual and it's for Nishamais, and it depends on the level of worthiness, Olam Haba is also physical and it's also for the body, and it's for everyone, and el- everyone will ultimately make it to Olam Haba. Well, so one might think. If Gan Eden is so exclusive and Elam Haba is not exclusive, so one might think, well, that must mean that Gan Eden is higher, is greater. Because, you know, it's only for the spiritual and it's only for those who are worthy. And the truth in Hasidus is to the contrary. That Gan Eden is levels of Hashem, levels of divine revelation, and therefore it's only for the soul and not for the body and only for the righteous and not for the not righteous. And in Olam Haba is where the very essence of Hashem will come to this world after Mashiach will come. And that's where there's no exclusivity. And that's good for the body and the soul and it's for the tzaddik and for the rasha. Everyone is ultimately going to make it to Olam Haba. So that's the first point that the Rebbe makes in this letter. And he bases that on Mamorim of the Alter Rebbe who talks about this. And that's... um, that's the facts of Gan Eden versus Olam Haba, 
and the Hasidus that tells us that Olam Haba is that level where the where the Atzmius, the essence of Hashem, is going to be, and is totally not exclusive. It's it is for every yid. But the question remains: How is everyone able to be zeicha to Olam Haba to Tchias Hamesim? After all, Tchias Hamesim is this tremendous gilui, this tremendous revelation of Hashem in this world, um, and there are people that seem quite unworthy. And there are people that we might see them as Rishoyim, very wicked people. Why is it and how is it that everyone, every Yid, everyone who has a Neshama, will be Zaycha to Techiyas HaMesa? And that's where their letter really begins. Yes? I just wanted to know, you said according to Hasidus, Olam Haba is higher than Tanayim? Correct. Correct. Olam Haba, which is in the physical world, is actually a higher level of Hashem than Ganeidim. Ganeidim is what we call Giluyim, revelations of Hashem that can only be in the spiritual. And Olam above, Tchiyas HaMesim, is where the very, is the atmos, the essence of Hashem comes into this world. And there, spiritual and physical, everything is connected to Hashem equally. And that's why, at that point, everyone could be there and everyone in a physical way in this world. Okay? Now, so the question remains... There, had, there are wicked people and there are people that we know or we heard of that may have not done any mitzvahs or at least it doesn't seem so. They may have done very wicked things. How is everyone able to be zaycha to ilam haba? So the Rebbe says, in a very organized fashion, he says, there's a number of steps and ways to understand this. The first point, he says, is that true? Um, there are certain sins certain Averis, that it's written in the Gemara and in the Mishnah, that someone who um, who performed those Averis is not worthy of Elam Habba. It does say that. It, does, it is written about a number of different things, that a person who uh, who uh, engages in such a type of behavior is not Zaycha, is not um, meritorious of Elam Habba. Says the Rebbe, so how can we say that everyone is ultimately going to get it? The first thing, says the Rebbe, is simple. True, certain Averis um, can preclude a person from Elam Haba, but that's all as long as a person doesn't do tshuva. We know that tshuva is all-powerful. And even a person who may have been sinful for the vast majority of their lives, and even if they were very sinful, as long as they did tshuva, um, they had an earnest moment of tshuva before they died, so that is able to bring kapara and able to bring atonement to the person and makes them ultimately worthy of Elam Haba. And that shuva doesn't have to be a very lengthy shuva. That shuva, as the Zahar states, shuva could be b'shaita chada, b'riga chada, one moment, one powerful feeling. As long as a person goes through a basic shuva, then that is able to turn things over, and even though for years and years the person may have acted in a way that makes them unworthy, tshuva has the ability to bring refua, bring spiritual healing to the neshama, and make them worthy of Elam Habba. And not only that, the Rebbe quotes the Rambam, who says that even if the tshuva is only in the heart, so everyone sees a sinner, a sinful person, and they were very sinful, and, and they died. And nobody noticed that that person ever had feelings of remorse or regret. Says the Rambam, but nobody really knows what's going on in a person's heart. And if a person had feelings of remorse and regret at the end of their life, even if in their external actions no one around them knows about it, that is enough, says Rambam, for them to reverse their course and be worthy of Chayei Ha'olam Haba. 
So that, the Rebbe says, is point A. Whenever you think of someone who's so sinful, how could they ever have Elam How could they ever have Tchiyas HaMesim? We have to always remind ourselves and remember the power of Tshuva. And even if I don't know for sure that the person did Tshuva, even if it wasn't evident, as long as in their heart there were certain Tshuva feelings, that would be enough to make them worthy of Elam That's point A. Says the Rebbe, okay, but what about those people who didn't do Tshuva? Right? Obviously, um, true, we can accept that if a person does tshuva, they're able to reverse their course, MS. But what about a person who was sinful and very sinful and wicked, and the person died without tshuva? What about, what about that person? Says the Rebbe that here we will employ a different concept, but a very powerful concept. And he quotes a Gemara um, in the tractate in the Mesechta of Sanhedrin, where the Gemara says, Bro mezake abo which means children are able to bring merit to their parents who departed already. So the parent was wicked, and the parent died without tshuva for whatever reason. But the parent has children, and those children are able to affect through their maizim toivim, through their mitzvahs that they do, their tzedakah that they give, the Torah that they learn, and the kindness that they perform, they're able to bring zechus to their departed parents or grandparents. And even if their parents and grandparents did a virus for which they did not do any form of tshuva, the zechus of the children can help for the parents and bring them atonement, bring them kapara, and make them worthy of chaye olam haba. And that's really behind the concept of yisker, when we say yisker for those who passed on, whether they're parents or grandparents or other family members, the idea is we we um, we're, we make a, we undertake we make a hachlata, a resolution to do a mitzvah on their behalf to give tzedakah on their behalf, and that way, although this person is already deceased and the person where they are does not have the ability to bring kapara for themselves, their children and grandchildren and descendants do have that ability as well. And then the rabbi goes on and says furthermore. Not only children. It doesn't specifically have to be children. When one Yid does a mitzvah, does a schus, a merit for a departed Yid, even if they're not related at all. In other words, true, there's a certain strength of the avoida of children for their parents or grandparents. There is something to that connection which empowers the children or grandparents, uh, the children or grandchildren in a greater way to bring kapara for the souls of their parents or grandparents. But it's not limited to children. It could be also any acquaintance, anyone who had any type of a connection with that person, or even if they just create a connection by deciding that they're going to daven for, they're going to give tzedakah for, they're going to do mitzvahs for the departed person, they are able to atone kapara, uh, to bring about kapara for that deceased wicked person um, who died without tshuva. And to, um, to prove that point, the Rebbe brings a very fascinating story in the Gemara. The Gemara talks, one of the terrible tragedies of our sages, we have very, very few, you can count them on one hand, but we had a few of our greatest sages, of great sages, that went totally off and became very, very wicked people. Again, there's so few that everyone knows the names of the of the two, three or of such people 
or five, four or five such people that were tzaddikim, or very knowledgeable, tremendous talmidei chachamim, and nevertheless, they, for some reason, they totally left and went to the opposite extreme. Perhaps the, the most famous, or one of the most famous of those, is he was a Tana, one of the sages of the Mishnah. His name was Elisha ben Avuya. And Elisha ben Avuya was a great sage in his time. So much so that even to this day, when we read Pirkei Avais on Shabbos, we read a teaching of Elisha ben Avuya. Because initially he was a great sage, a great teacher. And But then, for a number of different reasons, he totally left Torah and mitzvahs, and not just left Torah and mitzvahs, became very, very antagonistic and became a tremendous tzara for the Yidin in many, many different ways. So he became a tremendous Russia, a terrible Russia. So much so, that when he is talked about in Gemara, what name did the Chachamim call him by? Akhir. He became known as Akhir. Akhir means the other one. He became someone totally different. Now, this Elisha ben Avuya was such a great sage that one of his disciples, his foremost disciple, was none other than the great Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir Balhanes. Rabbi Meir Balhanes is probably the most often quoted sage in Mishnayis, period. And this Rabbi Meir was a disciple of Elisha ben Avuya. And he even maintained a connection with him a relationship with him, even after his Rebbe, Elisha, became a Russia. He always felt that his Rebbe is going to do truth. That in some way he's going to be able to keep a connection with him. And there's fascinating stories in the Gemara about that relationship between Elisha ben Avuyo, who at this time is known as the great Russia, the very wicked person, and his disciple, Rebbe Meir, one of the greatest teachers of Torah of his time. The Gemara goes on to say that, again, there's many stories about this, and I'm not, I don't want to get into many stories, but the, I want to be, remain focused. The Gemara goes on to say that when Elisha ben Avuya died, he was such a great Russia that in heaven it was decreed, you know what, let's not even punish him. Because punishing, Gehenna and punishment, is a form of atonement in order that the person should ultimately come back to Elam Haba. But this Elisha ben Avuya, they said in heaven, let's not even punish him. He should just, the soul should just be lost. And Rabbi Meir said, Rabbi Meir said no. He said, I'm reading from the Gemara here, he says, Mutav dilidaine velese da alma da asi. He says, it's better that my Rabbi, my teacher, should be punished, although it will be very extensive in order that he should ultimately come to Elam Haba. Masai Omos Ve'ele Oshan Mikivroi. Rabbi Meir says, when I die, you'll see that smoke will start coming up from the caver, from the gravesite of, of Elisha ben Avuya. Because I'm going to make sure when I die that they're going to start punishing him so that he should be able to come into Elam Haba. That's what Rabbi Meir said. And when Rabbi Meir died, of course, miraculously, people saw smoke began ascending from the caver of Elisha ben Avuya. The Gemara goes on and says there was another Tana, another sage, Rabbi Yochanan. And Rabbi Yochanan said, is this befitting that smoke should be coming up from the caver of Elisha ben Avuya, who was such a great Rabbi in his time? 
that he should have to be punished and endure such levels of punishment, he says, when I die, I'm going to take him by the hand and bring him into Ganeidin with me. And who's going to stop me? Said Rabbi Yechanan. Again, straight in the Gemara. He says, Inakti biyad, if I'll take him by the hand, man mirmi, who's going to stop me from bringing him into Elam Habba? And he says, you'll see, when I die, the smoke will stop ascending from that cave of Elisha ben Avuya. And indeed, that's what happened. When Rabbi Yechanan died, so the smoke stopped ascending from the cave of Elisha ben Avuya. And as the Gemara says, that by when they eulogized Rabbi Yechanan, they said, even the one who guards the door of Gan Eden was not able to stand in front of you, Rabbi Yechanan, and you were able to bring Elisha ben Avuya out of Gehenna, out of his state of punishment. That's a very fascinating story of the Gemara. But the Rebbe says that the important lesson that we see from this story is that Rabbi Yechanan wasn't a child, wasn't a descendant, he wasn't even a Talmud of Elisha ben Avri. But nevertheless, he set it as a goal that he is going to be matzil, he's going to save and bring kapara, bring atonement, and bring this tremendous Russia, Elisha ben Avuya, back into Ganeda. And therefore, coming back to our um, coming back to our conversation, when we're discussing how could it be that Rishoim should be able to um, so the Rebbe says, A, we have to remember the power of tshuva. That even if a Russia did a little bit of tshuva at the end of his life, and even if no one knows about it, that tshuva makes them worthy of Elam Habba. Even if the Russia never did tshuva, they have children, or they have grandchildren, or great-grandchildren, who through their mitzvahs, and through their Torah, and through their maizim toivim, are able to affect and bring kapara to their zaydas and babas, and make sure that they should be also receive their chilek and elam haba. And then the rabbi added the third step, that even if there's no children, even if there's no eniklach, as long as there's another yid, there's another person who sets his mind, sets his or her mind or heart and heart to do something, l'schus, those who passed on, so even if those who passed on don't have the merit on their own, that will be that would be enough of a schus to make them worthy of Elam Habba. Yes, you can ask, but you have to unmute yourself. Right. What? I said you just have to unmute yourself, that's all. Right, right. So I just wanted to know this about Yisker. Um, um, like I know for myself, I say Yisker for my parents. But what about my grandparents and great-grandparents? Like, Nobody's saying Yisker for them anymore. So, like, I was thinking about, I'm sure they have a lot of schosim, you know, but I was wondering, like, how does that work? Should should we, should we I also be giving tzedakah in their schos? And it's like, because their children aren't around anymore to say Yisker. Right. The answer is you can. You know, you could give tzedakah in their schos. And in truth, is based on what we're saying, you can give tzedakah for anyone. Um, especially someone who doesn't have someone to do it for them. However, typically it's the next generation, and that you know whatever schusim they needed, the next generation already provided for them. You know sometimes if we know specifically about someone who no one said yisker for and no one you know did any extra schusim for them, we might take that on. But typically speaking, in a regular you know familial situation, so the parents said for the 
grandparents, and the grandparents said for their parents, and their parents said for their parents, and so on and so forth. So everyone was taken care of. Otherwise, it will go on forever. But a person always has the ability. If a person wants to, and a person feels a special kasher or a special need, a person can give tzedakah and can say tehillim for any for any nisham or for every any person and bring additional tikkun for that person. Okay, so okay. it's like they're covered. Yes, 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 yes. I'll mention I'll mention something a drop off the track of what we're speaking about, but just because I found it to be fascinating. We just said the story of who is the one that ulti- that brought the ultimate um, br- uh, brought Elisha back into Gan Eden was Rabbi Yochanan. And the Rebbe goes off on a little tangent and says, why was it Rabbi Yochanan? Rabbi Yochanan wasn't even his disciple. Why was it Dafka the Tzaddik Rabbi Yochanan who was able to bring Tikkun? for the Nisham of Elisha ben Avuya. So, in, in very short, the Rebbe um, says, he says, why did Elisha go off? You know, what did Elisha, Elisha, he had the big tzaddik and Talmud Chacham and so on, and then he became such a big Russia. What caused that? And there's a number of different answers <clears throat> given to what was wrong with Elisha. What did he do wrong? And what caused this, this uh, very drastic departure? Um, and so a number of things that he did or when he was young, but there's something that's written that happened before he was actually born. And that is that his mother, when she was pregnant with him, um, walked by uh, an uh, idolatrous, uh, like a, some type of a pagan idols, and they were bringing sacrifices to those pagan idols. And she smelled the fragrance of the meat that was being sacrificed, and she had this tremendous desire to partake of it. And so much so that she felt her life was in danger. Because, again, she's expecting child. And she's smelling this meat and she's craving it. So she ate some of that meat that was being brought as a pagan sacrifice for Avedazar. Says the Talmud Yerushalmi that that initial pagan sacrificial food that she ate had a devastating spiritual impact on her fetus. And that fetus, when he grew up, became Elisha, who was a tzaddik, and then became a total Russian. Interestingly, that a similar story happened with Rabbi Yochanan's mother, many years later. Rabbi Yochanan's mother, it says, was Yom Kippur. And she was expecting, and she smelled fragrance of very delicious food, and it was Yom Kippur, she wanted to eat it. She asked the Rav, and the Rav said, whisper in her ear that it's Yom Kippur. And then see if she still needs it. And he whispered in her ear, it's Yom Kippur. And she said, okay, you know what, then I don't need to eat. So Rabbi Yechanan's mother was able to withstand that same test that Elisha's mother didn't withstand. And ultimately, that's why Rabbi Yechanan is the one who brought the tikkun to Elisha. Again, this is off the track about our Tchiyas HaMesim Shir, but just a fascinating tidbit that the Rebbe explains why was Rabbi Yochanan that brought the Tikkun to Elisha because of that interesting um, connection that they both had, not even with themselves, but with what their mothers did while they were still in a fetal state and had that effect on them. Okay, that's, that was just on a tangent, but let's come back to our subject. So our subject is understanding how Rishoyim People are very wicked, nevertheless have tchiyas amesim. So, so far we have A, if they do tshuva on any level. B, we have that their children can bring them schus and merit. And C, we have not just their children, even other yidin that do mitzvahs on their behalf. That can also be the merit for them to make them 
worthy of ultimately Tchiyas HaMesim. Says the Rebbe, but let's go even further. What about if you had a wicked person in Russia that didn't do any tshuva? Not just the Russia didn't do any tshuva, but they didn't have children who went in the ways of Torah and mitzvahs. And not only that, nobody else really undertook it as a mission to do zchusim, to do meris for that Russia. How can this Russia still be zeicha to Elam habat at chiyas hamesim? And the Rebbe quotes a Gemara. The Gemara says about one of the, we know that there was the time of the kings, in the time of the first Beis Hamikdash, there was many kings, Malchi Yisrael, kings from the uh, ten tribes, Malchi Beis David, from the two tribes. And many of these kings, as hard as it, as it is for us to understand and to relate to, many of these kings were really very wicked people, very great Rishoim. And one of them was Yehoyakim. And Yehoyakim was a terrible Russia, and Tanakh describes the things that he did. And he was involved in all types of paganism and idolatry and bringing idolatry to the Jewish people. All types of sins. And nevertheless, the, the Gemara says, but he's not mentioned as one who's not deserving of Elam Haba. Why not? Says the Gemara. Because after he died, he went through tremendous embarrassment. He was His body was discarded, never properly buried. And then it, get, it kept on being revealed and his, his skull was dragged around in the streets. In other words, he went through tremendous, tremendous pain and bizarre and embarrassment and shame. And that embarrassment and that shame and that pain that he ultimately endured was enough to cause atonement for him that he should also ultimately be zaycha to tchies ha-meisim and to haba. And from here we have rule number three. That on top of the fact that a person can do tshuva, and on top of the fact that a person's children or other yidin can do zchusim in their merit, there's another way. And that is that Hashem causes tremendous pain or punishment or shame to that wicked person in order to atone for their terrible sins and make that they too should be able to come to Elam Habba. In fact, the Rebbe quotes also a statement in Talmud Yerushalmi, in the Jerusalem Talmud, where it talks about Yeravam, also one of the terrible kings of the Jewish people. One who is credited in Pirkei Avos, he's the example of one who was Chata Vehechati Esarabim. The example in Pirkei Avos for the ultimate sinner, who not only sinned on his own, but brought sinfulness to the multitudes of Jewish people, was Yeravam ben Nevat. Says the Talmud Yerushalmi, Yeravam was not worthy of Tchiyas Amis. But many years later, many years after he died, when Nebuchadnezzar's armies came into Eretz Yisrael and they torched, they burnt many parts of Israel, they also burnt his grave. Says the Talmud Yerushalmi, that embarrassment and that shame that this monarch should his entire grave and everything be burnt to a crisp, that made him too worthy of Elam Haba. Says the Rebbe that this becomes another approach. Again, a person who did not do tshuva and a person who their children didn't do mitzvahs for them and other yidin didn't do mitzvahs for them. But Hashem can bring upon them the necessary punishments in order that ultimately they too should be able to come to Elam Haba and to Tchiyas The Rebbe goes on to bring a very beautiful nevuah, a nevuah from Yirmiyahu, 
Let me read it to you. Yirmiyahu says, it's, uh, if, you, if you're writing down Pesukim to look it up, it's in Yirmiyahu, Perik Chavdalid, chapter 24, Pasuk Aleph, verse 1. Yirmiyahu says, after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed um, Eretz Yisrael, he says, Hirani Hashem, Hashem showed me vihine shnei dudae te'enim. There's two clusters of figs. Lifnei heichal Hashem. Before the heichal Hashem, before the Beis HaMikdash. And he goes on, I'm skipping words, he says, Hadud echad, one cluster was te'enim toivais me'oit. Very wonderful, beautiful figs. Ki te'enei habakurais, like the ripe, beautiful figs. Hadud echad, the second, te'enim ra'ois me'oit. Very bad figs. Asher These these figs were so bad. There's no way that some that one would be able to eat them. Says the Gemara in Erevin, in tracted Erevin. What are these two types of figs? He says Hashem calls Klal Yisrael figs in the pasuk Kitaina, like a like a uh, like a ripe fig. I've seen I've, I've seen you. It's the tzaddikim and the rishoyim, the two types of figs. And Yirmiyahu says I see both of them in front of Heichal Hashem. Says the Gemara, one might think, well, perhaps the good figs, the pleasant, the beautiful figs, those are the, those are the ones that Hashem wants. Says the Gemara, there's another pasuk in Shir Hashirim that says, Hadudoim nasnu reyach. All the clusters will give forth fragrance. Ultimately, not only will the tzaddikim give forth fragrance, but the rishoim will also give forth fragrance. Because ultimately, through one of these approaches, whether it's through their tshuva, whether it's through the children, whether it's through other yidin, whether it's through punishment, ultimately, all of them, everyone, will give forth that fragrance. And the Rebbe says that really all of this is based on yet another Pasuk. The Pasuk is in Shmuel. In, in, um, in the story, in uh, Shmuel Beis it is. In Shmuel Beis, in the story of David HaMelech and, Av, and his son Avshalim, and there was a time period where David HaMelech was very upset with Avshalom and he wouldn't see Avshalom. And there's a whole long story in the Navi where Yoyav, who was David's general, um, had the wise woman from Tekoya, the Isha HaTekoyis, to come before David HaMelech to argue for Avshalom. And she said a whole parable, a whole mashal, which I'm not going to go through the details here. If someone wants to look it up, it's in Shmuel Bey's Perik Yudalid, chapter 14, verse 14. But there she says a pasuk, that that pasuk becomes a very central pasuk. She says, V'chishav machshavois. Hashem orchestrates all types of plans. Levilti yidach mimenu nidach. So that no one should ultimately be lost from Him. Every neshama is a part of Hashem. Some yidin, some people in their lifetimes express how they're part of Hashem in a more obvious way, in a more beautiful way. And some don't express it. So a neshama seems to be lost from Hashem. And sometimes we hear about a person and we think about a person and we think that neshama is just lost. And here the Isha Hatkoi says in the, in, the, in the Navi that Hashem is chishav machshavis. Hashem thinks all types of machshavis, all types of plans, all types of schemes and orchestrations. Levilti yidach mimenu nidach, so that ultimately no one neshama should ever be lost from Hashem. And therefore, as the Alter Rebbe writes in Tanya, that it's vaday, 
that every person will ultimately, every neshama, will ultimately be returned to Hashem. In fact, even in Halacha, in Shulchan Aruch, there's a question. If a person is going to, let's say, learn Torah, Shaloi Lishma, let's say a person learns Torah for negative reasons, let's say a person learns Torah just to get honor, or just to know smart answers, just to be argumentative, Let's say a person learns Torah for all the wrong reasons. Says the Halacha and says Tanya that that Torah is very not spiritual, very not holy, if one is learning Torah for all the wrong reasons. Until that person will do tshuva. And then the Torah that they learned in a negative way will come back, come back with them. So the question is, so if we know that a person is learning for all the wrong reasons, should we tell them to stop or should we tell them to continue? Says the Tanya, tell them to continue. Why? Even though the Torah is negative at the point at this point in time. Says the Alter Rebbe, Because bevadai she'soifoy lasa is tshuva bein begil golzeh bein begil galacher. Ultimately, for sure, every Yid is going to come back. And every year is going to do for some form of tshuva in this Gilgal, in this incarnation, in a later incarnation, every year. And therefore, it's definitely worth it that they should learn Torah, even if it's done in such a negative way. And the Torah is so imprisoned in impurity while they're learning it. But still, being that we know without any doubt that this person will do tshuva, will come around, and will return to Hashem because of that promise of the Navi of Kibilti, Levilti Yidach Mimenu Nidach, that no part of Hashem will ever be lost to him. So therefore we tell the person to, yes, for sure, continue learning Torah, even in a negative way, knowing that ultimately it will come back with this person. So the Rebbe says that all of this, all of this really brings us to that understanding. That when we talk about Chiyas HaMesim, which is that ultimate time when all the Yidin down here in this world will be able to live and express and feel their connection to Hashem, that ultimately it's something that's going to be there for every single Neshama. No matter how far off they went in their lifetime. And he brings, and I'm, I want to I give you a quote, he brings from a Sefer, Eimek HaMelech. Eimek HaMelech was one of the, he was a disciple of the Arizal's disciple. So the Arizal is the great Makubal, and the Arizal is a disciple, and this Emek HaMelech was a disciple of his disciple. And he writes, he says, why, he says, he tells his Talmidim, he says, why am I telling you to always try to, to bring, to come, become closer and to show warmth, even to Rishoim? He says, first of all, you should know, it's in Hebrew, I'm saying it in English, he says, even a Russia Gamur, even a complete Russia, Nitsutse Kedusha Shebohem. All of them have sparks of holiness. Himnetzer Matoi, their plantings of Hashem. The part of Hashem in every year is everlasting. When Hashem invests himself in a neshama, it's forever. That's the first point he says. And secondly, he says, Avram Avinu, Davin for every Yid, and Davin, every one of his descendants, and Davin that even if they're not worthy, they should go through whatever they have to go through 
in order to ultimately remain connected to Hashem. And the Rebbe keeps on bringing more and more sources from Kabbalah, from the Medrashmuel, from the Alshich, and from the Ariza, to this concept, this idea that the Rebbe held so dear, that every Yid ultimately will be reconnected and will have that level of Tchiyas Amesa. I'll conclude for now with what the Rebbe said in a different uh, time. It's a beautiful little story that there was a person who came into the Rebbe's um, room for Yechidus. And the Rebbe was asking him, he says, tell me a Dvartaira that you heard recently from your teacher, from your Rebbe. And the person said, I'll, if the Rebbe is asking, I'll tell you a Dvartaira. And he says, my Rebbe said he was wondering. Because the Gemara says that Afilu Poishe Yisrael even the most wicked amongst the Jews, meleim mitzvahs kerimoin. They're filled with mitzvahs like a pomegranate. So my Rebbe was wondering, said this Yid, if they're so wicked, why do they have so many mitzvahs? The Rebbe became very serious and he says, I also don't understand that statement. I don't understand if they have so many mitzvahs, why we call them so wicked. If they're Malayim mitzvahs kirimon, why do we call them Poshay Yisrael? And that was indicative of, of the way the Rebbe saw every single Yid and taught us and teaches us to look at every single Yid. But here the Rebbe brings it into what we're talking about, Chiyas HaMesim, why we believe, and the, and the Rebbe's Shita definitely is that ultimately every single Yid, La Yidach Mimenu Nidach, will have Chiyas HaMesim, even if they didn't do Tshuva, and even if there weren't children, and even if there weren't other Yidin that did mitzvahs on their behalf, but that ultimately Hashem will see to it. Um, that is Cheshiv Machshaves with all his different um, plans in order to bring to this state of Kila Yidach Mimenu Nidach that every Yid will be Zaychet to that Matzav, to that situation of Tchiyas HaMesim. We should be able to see it Mekariv Mamesh Mirza Hashem. Um, we're going to do Mirza Hashem next week one final shir on Tchiyas HaMesim. And with that, we're going to finish this section of Shiurim and we'll continue from there Mirza Hashem. Quick question. Does that, that letter exist in English?